Good morning, and wasn't that a beautiful way to start our service? Well, I'm supposed to say, welcome, church, but I'm not Andy. Um, Andy is celebrating his birthday this weekend in Cincinnati. And we're, we're pleased to have Mr. Roderick Loop, who will be giving our message today. Um, some announcements just to bring to your attention, I won't read them all, but the Carnation Sale is now taking place and you can make checks payable to Faith Community United Methodist Women. Um, and then you'll get to take the flowers home after worship on Mother's Day, May the 9th. Today is the last day to get in your educational assistance applications. If any students or anyone has not returned those to the church office, today is the deadline. Uh, Shoes for the Shoeless will be a drive-through style. Uh, I think we did that once before. Uh, there are still some volunteers needed, so if you would see Sandy Pramer. Um, men of Faith are meeting uh, tomorrow night, and all men are invited to join. It's at 6 o'clock. Uh, bring your own meal and a beverage, and there will be a presentation by Bridges of Hope, which is one of the uh, entities or facilities that we support here at Faith. Um, just a last... Excuse me. Last note, the Lifeline Screening Faith Community will be a host uh, church to be having that, and you can find that in your bulletin. Um, Make a note up here. The last hymn is number 400. Whatever it says in the bulletin is not it, and if you're singing that, you won't be singing the right song. Um, I wanted to make a, a note here. If you have never heard this passage, but in Prince, at Prince Philip's funeral yesterday, the first lesson was Ecclesiastes 43, verses 11 through 26. I sat and listened to that. I had never heard that read before. Um, and I think now is a good time that we all need to read that passage. It speaks of God's power and his might, but also his beauty, the way he looked at things, and his gentleness. And it was it was a very powerful reading, and I'm sure that uh, if you looked it up and read it, you would gain something from that. Um, so let us stand now for our call to worship. Let us call on our God and give thanks. Let hearts rejoice as we sing God's praise. Let us open ourselves continually to God's presence. Let us seek the strength that God alone provides. Who can separate us from the love of God? Will, worship, will hardship, distress, or peril overcome us? And if you'll remain standing for our opening hymn, O God, Our Help in Ages Past, 117. Oh. 
And you may be seated. And would you join with me in our opening prayer? You know us, God, better than we know ourselves. You know the ways we scheme and manipulate for our own advantage. You are aware of how often our deeds fail to match the faith we claim. Help us to face ourselves with honesty. Give us the will and courage to change our ways. We give thanks for Christ's intercession for us. We rejoice as the Spirit gives voice to all we cannot express. Save us, O God, that our lives might give expression to your reign. Amen. And our next hymn is number 396, O Jesus, I Have Promised.
Let us pray together. Our Father, we come to you this morning in the strong name of Jesus, about whom we have just sung. And yes, Jesus, we claim you as not only our master, fully cognizant of all that that implies, that you expect of us obedience, forthrightness, honesty, But we know, especially as we have just sung, that there is grace. There is grace for all that you happen to require of us. We remember, our Lord, that at some point you said, No longer, no longer do I call you servants, but I call you friends. Help us, our Lord, not to presume upon the generosity of your friendship. Help us to remember, our Father, what a costly expenditure that your Son, your beloved Son, should come and covenant among us to give up equality with you, to submit to cruel and vile persecution and taunting, to give his life as a redemption for all of us. We know, Holy Spirit, that you are present in our midst this morning, in the beauty of this sanctuary, in the quietness of this fellowship, and we know that you are praying right along with us. What a privilege it is to welcome you Holy Spirit, into our midst. Be with us as we continue. We thank you for Pastor Andy and Laura. We thank you for his strong affirmation of your word. We thank you for the integrity of his person and the power of his preaching. We pray that you would be with him and grant him rest and bring him back soon in a refreshed and vigorous way. And now may all of us join our hearts together and pray the prayer our Savior taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
fortunate here to have the musical talent that we do, and we really appreciate it. Um, I'm going to read the scripture lesson today. is from Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39, and it speaks of God's love in Christ Jesus. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not withhold his own son, but gave him up for all of us, Will he not with him also give us everything else? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? It is Christ Jesus who died, yes, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness, or peril, or sword. As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The word of God for the people of God. Well, good morning, everyone. I always wanted to be taller, and suddenly, instead of five foot nine, I'm six foot nine. I've never, I've never spoken from a step-up pulpit, at least not one of uh, probably twelve inches. Amazing. I hope you fully realize how beautiful this worship space is. You know that, don't you? It's just, it's just stunning. I'm not sure I've ever seen those seven. I'm guessing those are from a, a former iteration of this church. Is that Would that be correct? So I've been mostly a teacher through these working years more than anything else. And teachers kind of try to interpret the symbolic realm to the world. So 
Of course, I'm going to ask my friend John Shearer to help me. I still have no idea. I know this must be the 12 apostles. Is that is that correct? The 12? The money bags, I thought those were like insects over there, but those must be money bags. But anyway, I actually went looking on the Internet to try to find what these 12, and I actually drew a blank. So if anybody knows the secret to unlock the mystery of these 12, please, please tell me. Let's say that someone gave us a task and he said to us, I want you to do a dot to dot of your life. And you can do this any way you like. For me, it would probably probably be triangulation. There would be Oregon up there where I was born. There would be Oklahoma sort of here in the middle where we lived for 19 years. And then there would be where we've lived for the last... Uh, 21 months, of course, where we find ourselves now. I'm not going to make a big deal of this, but I like the world of sports, the history of sports, so of course I remember this. Yes, the shooting ducks. How many remember the shooting ducks? You don't remember the shooting ducks? So the ducks won the first ever NCAA title in 1939. How many of you were there at that game in 39? None of you was there. Some of you were alive then, 1939. Now, of course, I know that Ohio State crushed my ducks in the national championship five or six years ago. There's a game coming up. Some of you, one of you is going to give me a ticket to that game, right? Because I'm sure the Buckeyes will probably crush those ducks again. I'm just guessing that's going to happen. You know, I've thought about my relationship historically with the state of Ohio, and mythically it goes back to Ward Cleaver and Leave it to Beaver, for sure. You know, don't you, that Leave it to Beaver is supposedly set in Ohio. You have that straight. It's not California. Even though sometimes they want to go to the beach, it's not California. Ward Cleaver always talked about Shaker Heights. That's where Ward was from, Shaker Heights. I also thought more than once that my first memory of Ohio probably was riding on the Ohio Turnpike, probably Pennsylvania. We were going from Boston back to Nantha, Idaho. So Pennsylvania in the snow in the winter, like 1959 or 1960. So let's go back to my earlier example of a dot to dot. And let's say that we were drawing a dot to dot of our Christian lives. And, you know, again, we could kind of configure this any way we wished. It would be kind of a synthesis of our lives as Christians. How would you sketch out that dot to dot. What pattern would emerge? Maybe you don't think there would be a pattern at all. I thought it was very bold of Pastor Andy. And by the way, I hope you realize what a treasure you have in this man. What an excellent speaker he is, biblical and forthright. But if you remember on Easter two Sundays ago, he sort of slipped in. There could be someone here 
for whom the resurrection is not a clear and compelling belief. I think God welcomes everyone. That's part of the beauty of the United Methodist Church. It welcomes everyone, whosoever will, may come. I want to give you a little riddle this morning. This is the point when Stephanie shudders and she goes, where in the world is my crazy husband going with this? But what do these four things have in common? There's musical compositions. There's holiday meals. Thirdly, there is figure skating. And this is really a stretch, but fourth, there's the Jefferson Airplane. How many of you remember the Jefferson Airplane? See, I'm preaching to to my generation. Oh, sorry, that was the who. So what they have in common is the reality of grace, of course, the reality of grace. Musical compositions may have grace notes at holiday meals. Of course, we say grace often. For figure skating, it's self-explanatory. For the Jefferson Airplane, I know it's a stretch, but the lead singer was Grace Slick. So there you go. All of these things have grace. But I'm trying to hint, maybe in not a very reverent way, that for me it is the reality of grace, that simple one-syllable word, the reality of grace that to me ties up all of the loose strings and strands of the Christian faith. It is grace that is the unifying motif, if you like, of the Christian faith. For example, John Wesley's sermon, Free Grace, he comes right to the point as he begins. He says, The grace or love of God, whence cometh our salvation, is free in all and free for all. Notice he says, whence cometh our salvation. In the company of grace, we are talking headwaters, we are talking fountains, we are talking origins, we are talking the spontaneous upsurge of the love of God. Because the mystery of the grace of God is so vast and deep, to err on the side of reverence, we might start off by saying what grace is not and what grace never could be. The Swiss theologian Karl Barth says that grace is not a spiritual power residing in any given human being. Grace is not a cosmic power in the earth. As such, no one can make him or herself worthy of the grace of God. That's the fundamental lesson, the worthiness. We try, we strive, we contort ourselves, and yet there's a sense in which it is all in vain. We have to come As an empty vessel, we have to admit from the outset our lack of worth. 
Bart says that grace is the spontaneous and free will of God, God's will to accept us. The necessity of grace proceeds from God and from God only. He continues that grace is the incomprehensible fact that God is well-pleased with us and that we can rejoice in God. Grace means God is well-pleased with us. Each of us carries within ourselves a view of God, and we do well to reflect on that and to know what it means if we harbor within that God is an angry, vengeful tyrant. We need to get rid of that. God is not angry and vengeful. God is a God of love. His Son, Jesus, is our Savior, the Christ of compassion. Only when grace is recognized to be incomprehensible is it grace. Grace exists, therefore, only where the resurrection is Reflected. I thought as I was thinking about what I might want to say, how many of us when we were little, say at Christmas or birthday, how many of us tried to sneak around and maybe to hold the package up to the light and to see what it was we were going to be given? Well, I never did that, not that I can remember. The gifts I received were reflective of the deep love my parents had for all five of their children. And not to cast an accusatory finger this morning, but if you did succeed in finding your gifts before opening them, I would say you just may have spoiled the entire experience for yourself and maybe also for the giver of the gift. As the familiar hymn says, all of us should be amazed by grace. One of my favorite lyrics from one of my favorite hymns from Charles Wesley, 1739. Yes, just 200 years before the tall firs won that, no, that first... I'm obsessed with 1939. But in 1739, Charles said, And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me, who caused his pain. For me, who him to death pursued. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me. Think about that phrase, and can it be? One thing that struck me again and again as I've driven around the Ohio countryside, I had no idea how agrarian this region is, no idea how beautiful, and I come from a beautiful state. Oregon is a beautiful state, but I'm sure all of us have been struck at times in nature Our breath has been taken away. And can it be? 
Not too long ago, our daughter Emily, who's studying at North Carolina State in Raleigh, rose at 2 or 3 in the morning and drove east so she could see the sun coming up over the Atlantic Ocean. To me, that would be one of those and-can-it-be moments. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? This is the Easter faith. Charles Wesley entitled his famous hymn, Free Grace, thus demonstrating the significant overlap between love and grace. And if we add mercy in here, if we talk about love and mercy and grace, it takes a wiser man than I to distinguish among love and mercy and grace. We think we may have awakened in the land of synonyms. Aren't love, grace, and mercy all the same flavor of ice cream, just with different sprinkles? Love seems like the biggest basket here. As one of my favorite theologians, Yaroslav Pelikan, who is from Akron originally, said, excuse me, it is helpful within the general category of love. So love is kind of the biggest conceptual basket here to define mercy as forgiving love when God applies his love to our hearts and lives. It is mercy. And grace as mediated mercy. This morning a very bad example came to me, and I'll say this out of deference to my beloved wife. I'm sure this must be the case that Mercy is the three-way at Skyline, and grace is the four-way at Skyline, and love, since it's the biggest, must be the five-way. Do you want to go there for lunch afterwards? (laughs) I'm sorry, Stephanie doesn't really like that cuisine. I'm going to continue for a minute down this admittedly kind of secular path. I've already mentioned the Jefferson Airplane. I mentioned the Who for a minute. But what about Brian Wilson? Of course, he was one of the founders of the Beach Boys. Around 1988, he released a song called Love and Mercy. Let me quote a few of the lyrics. I was sitting in a crummy movie with my hands on my chin. Oh, the violence that occurs seem like we never win. Love and mercy, that's what you need tonight. So love and mercy to you and your friends tonight. I was lying in my room and the news came on TV. A lot of people out there hurting And it really scares me. The last verse, I was standing in a bar and watching all the people there. Oh, the loneliness in this world. It's just not fair. In a crummy movie, in a room, in a bar, there is no place on earth 
no place on earth where the grace of God is not present, where it has not preceded our arrival. That is the meaning of prevenient grace, a big part of the Methodist understanding of the gospel, the grace that goes before. One of my favorite writers, the Danish Soren Kierkegaard, he has this beautiful image. He says that, imagine you are a thirsty hiker out there and you do not have a canteen. He says that grace overflows like a stream overflowing and it finds the thirsty hiker and it supplies the needs of the thirsty hiker right where he or she is. There are many more things that we might say about the reality of grace this morning, but I'd like just to summarize by mentioning what I think are five important signposts. The first would be this. I think that growth in grace, something we are all striving for, is incremental, not exponential. Growth in grace is incremental. It often will be a struggle. I will be the first to say that Excuse me, in the aftermath of our daughter's death five years ago, it has not been easy for me and Stephanie. But it is an incremental growth. Stephanie's father, Rockwell, was a famous painter, probably the greatest painter in the history of the Church of the Nazarene. But the finished works he showed to the world did not show his hundreds, his thousands of brushstrokes that went to make up that great masterpiece, the finality. The world of sports is replete with incremental grace that may yield eventually to perfection. Do we still remember when the first perfect ten was awarded in gymnastics? Were we there with Nadia through the thousands of hours it took her to get there? The reality of grace as being incremental and not exponential may be a source of discouragement for all of us. One of John Wesley's sermons that has blessed me is called the wilderness state, but all of us, if we are honest, have been in the wilderness state. To me, a great verse in a great song illustrates much of what sometimes we feel. William Cooper wrote, God moves in a mysterious way, which used to be in the Methodist hymnal, but is not in the most current one. In 1773, one of the verses, Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence there, he hides a smiling face. So admittedly, many of us, including myself, we see that frowning providence. But may the Holy Spirit help us to see the smile that is there in the midst, often, of what seems to us to be 
a frown. Second, I believe that grace comes to us as personal, not propositional. There's a sense in which everything we say about grace should, in the same breath, be said about the Lord Jesus Christ. That is, grace is always what we call Christocentric. It is always focused on the person and the work of Jesus Christ. We know that the United Methodist Church, as is true really of all churches in one way or another, says this about the means of grace. There are works of piety, which are individual practices and communal practices. There are works of mercy, again, We can think of these as individual and communal. May God help us to continue to practice with care and due diligence the means of grace. The third point I wish to make is while grace is inexhaustible, yes, of course it is, grace is not expedient. By that I mean grace is not some kind of an on-demand commodity. We should never presume upon the riches of God's grace. There is no AGM anywhere, automatic grace machine, from which we can make on-demand withdrawals. Remember the famous distinction the Lutheran Dietrich Bonhoeffer made between cheap grace and costly grace. Cheap grace and costly grace. It cost God our Father a great amount. As we read earlier from Romans 8.32, he who did not withhold his own son. Think of the tremendous price God paid. He did not withhold his own son, but gave him up. Gave him up for all of us. As we acknowledge God's costly gift of his son, we begin to live in the second half of Romans 8.32. Will he not, with him, also give us everything else? Fourth, grace is inviting, not invasive. Grace does not destroy human freedom, but rather grace enhances human freedom. And finally, grace is summative, summarizing, and from the standpoint of the triune God, Grace is spontaneous, not separating and self-enclosed. If anyone should care to do this, I would like to make a final point. It has to do with the affirmations of faith. If you want to look at this, that's fine, on page 880 and page 881. So I was struck by this last Sunday about this time a little before. You may recall we said the Apostles' Creed. Do you remember that we said the traditional version? So I thought, I'm just going to look through these famous statements of faith and see how many times I see grace, 
I see love. And I was stunned. I didn't see either of those words once in either of these. And I thought, how can this be? This seems like a gigantic sin of omission. How can it be that grace and love? But then I thought, if you look at the Nicene Creed, and the first thing you should notice about these creeds, they're Trinitarian. It's the Father, the Son, and the the segments about the Son are like twice as much. So we know that the Son is so important, but if you look at the Nicene Creed, in the very middle of the section of Jesus Christ, for us and for our salvation, that is the, the shorthand, that's the meaning of grace. It wasn't for some random purpose, it was for us, for human beings and our salvation. He came down from heaven. And then if you look across the page at the Apostles' Creed, look at all of those strong verbs, conceived, born, suffered, crucified, dead, buried, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, sitteth at the right hand, So the point is obvious to me, even though grace and love are not spelled out, they are kind of the structure, they are the undercurrent, they are the foundation of everything that we as Christians believe, that we as Christians are called upon to practice. Finally, the greatest Christian missionary summarized his life in 1 Corinthians 15.10. The Apostle Paul, of course, said this, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me has not been in vain. God's grace is never in vain in any of our lives. It is God's grace that helps us, that encourages us to exercise faith in Jesus Christ. May the Holy Spirit interact with our human spirits, and may the Holy Spirit help all of us to be more open and more receptive of the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.
Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with all of you. Amen.